friends, brothers and sisters in recovery, anxiety, warriors, mental health champions, and welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I am not a licensed healthcare professional. No, what I am is a guy with 909 days of sobriety, and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. While I am not a licensed healthcare professional, I am excited to tell you that I do have one on the podcast. I'm joined by Kim Sundling, who is a behavioral health pharmacist, and she is an absolute unicorn. She, for a long, long time, has been very open about her struggles with mental health. She is a marathoner. She's a savage runner, folks, Boston qualifier, and just an amazing human. I'm so glad that she joined me, and I'm looking out the window. And it's a beautiful day to get our 40,000 steps in. So what do you say we get it? I say we get it. I say we get it. Let's get it. folks so i did the thing again i did the uh the assuming thing and we do it all the time don't we where we assume that folks who are open and honest and very outspoken that they must have it all together that they must have the answers right well i mean i can tell you from uh from personal experience that just because i talk about my story and share insights on what i've been through sure as hell doesn't mean i have it all together or that i have you know many of the answers so Ever since I started following Kim Sundling on Instagram, I, I, I made the assumption that she had at some point really locked in on therapy, on the proper meditation cocktail, as she likes to describe it. And <laughs> late in our uh, conversation, I asked her, I was like, so when was your aha moment that you really locked in on your program? And she said that was back in August. Like this August, 2021 was the first time that she really felt like she had the proper medication and all the proper treatments and interventions and tools to really fully live her life. You know, I, I watched her, I've watched her struggle so hard, basically between like last September and this August as she's just lived through hell as she's tried to strike that right combination of meds. But seeing as how she's been involved in some capacity with Still I Run for like four years, I, I always thought that, well, she must have had it and then lost it somewhere along the way or that, that she had highs where she had it all figured out and hit lows because that's life, right? But no, I mean, it turns out that you know, she was basically getting to like middle ground of like surviving and feeling okay. And then, you know, going on the downward slope and getting into you know, sustained stretches like she, like she went through for those 11 months or so. And, you know, it, it reminds me of what I've gone through recently, where I was just telling my wife this evening that I felt like today was the first time in a long time that I was really up, like, like way up because ever since we did the 50 K and ever since I did my keynote speech, and you know, I came crashing back down to earth really hard. I w I was never really up and feeling great. It was like I was just barely like getting back to that middle ground of just feeling like a a relatively functional human being. And then from there, it will go down, and I'd be in a really bad funk for days at a time. And this is the part where I share with you that. I think one of the main reasons why I'm finally back up is because I finally pulled the plug on the 101K that I was going to be doing in December, the uh, Hitchcock experience. And I have to tell you folks that it was like a monumental feat to show myself grace and be honest with myself and say, this isn't working. You know, running isn't serving me right now. You know, it got to a place where running was very much, you know, a source of my misery where I overtrained. Um, my body was breaking down and I was self-flagellating on a daily basis because I, I wasn't performing the way that I expected. 
So about a week ago, I made the decision that I was going to pull the plug on it. And surprise, surprise, here we are a week later. And I haven't felt this happy in a really long time. And look, I don't know what's going to happen with running. I don't know what the future holds, whether it means more ultras. You know, (laughs) Kim and I talked about the 50 miler that she's going to do next year. And I got to be honest, it sounds really intriguing because she and I run a similar pace and it'd be both of our first 50 miler. I don't know what's going to happen. You know what? That's okay. Because here's one thing I do know is that I just did the hardest thing I've ever done. And I also ran a 50K. No, I mean, the hardest thing I ever did was get sober. The world is my oyster. There are endless possibilities going forward. All right. And the reason why I was able to get sober, a huge reason was because I went to rehab. And I'm grateful that one of the partners of the podcast is the place where I went through treatment, Gateway Foundation in Aurora, Illinois. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs, so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation, or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. I know you're going to love this conversation with Kim. We were talking about how when she speaks out about eating disorders and tries to raise awareness and tries to hack away at that ugly stigma surrounding it, she's been getting reported. Her posts have been getting reported. And I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what sort of person w- would has to make up somebody's construct that they think that they should report somebody who's saying that this isn't okay. But we were talking about whether we confront folks who are perpetuating, you know, diet culture before and after photos and all that stuff. And, you know, the at one point she said, you know, we're, we're going to change the world. And I think she said, like, we're going to change the world eventually or something like that. And we came around back toward the end of our conversation again. And I was revisiting that. And I, I almost I almost said, you know, change the world again. But I was trying to come up with the words. And Kim said something that really resonated with me after the fact. She said, we're going to do something. <laughs> and I don't even think she realized it at the time, just how significant that was. That as long as we're doing something doesn't have to be earth shaking, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something for me. And I'm going to try to do something for somebody I don't know. Just do a little something because those somethings add up to big change. All right. So you ready to laugh? You ready to cry? Ready to learn? Because this is my conversation with the brilliant, talented, super fast, dear, dear friend of mine, Kim Sundling. Sorry, I'm always early. I'm like, I got to make sure it works. (laughs) It's actually a really good thing because I was about to launch myself into another batch of emails and I'm done. I'm I'm punched out. (laughs) I saved you. (laughs) You sure did. You were in my lifeline. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm all about work-life balance. I know it's, I'm sure it's hard for you because the pot, I mean, you're probably always doing this kind of stuff. It's so weird. I've definitely gone through a bit of an identity crisis over the past year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for a while, it was unemployed guys. So really like stay at home dad, sort of mm-hmm. working odds and ends hours and starting up a little podcast. And then it was like balancing three part-time jobs with the children virtual learning. Oh God. Then it was the summer of being stay at home dad and adventuring every day. Then it was this summer where... 
I had to work full time. So the children began to resent me for, <laughs> for the fact that we weren't in. It's, it's been a wild ride, but. I bet. I, I don't have children and I do not envy parents during the pandemic what you guys have to deal with. Yeah, there are strikes and gutters, ups and downs with kids. We, we had, you know, we have twins and we were really spoiled in the way that they always had each other. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had, you know, their, their built-in playmate. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it, it, it's, it's, it's been nuts, but it's, you know, things are weird all over, right? Yes, they are. It's very weird. <laughs> so yeah, I, I follow along with your, your journey on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I know that, I know that for a while things were really, really rough for you. Terrible, yeah. When we talk about like getting back to normal, I mean, it's such a loose term, but if I feel as though you're in a really good place right now. Yeah. How cool is that? It's so nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I was so, I was depressed for, you know, 11 months, like really depressed, like suicidal and everything. So it's just amazing to like be on the other end. I never thought it w- I would get to this point again. Establish for me those 11 months. Where did that, where does that timeline start? So last September of 2020, I ran the Jim Thorpe marathon, I BQ'd, you know, huge dopamine surge on top of the world. And then I crashed. (laughs) Um, I crashed hard. And, you know, a lot of people have the post marathon blues. But for me, it just continued on and on. And that's basically when it kind of started. And then we started changing around my meds. And then I got manic. Um, and from the meds that they put me on. And that's when they kind of figured out that I had bipolar disorder. And then from there, it just, we were tweaking my meds and everything. And it just, it, um, kind of unraveled, but it continued for 11 months of just pure hell, (laughs) (laughs) but it started to answer your question. It started last September. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of pure hell, thanks for bearing with me. My headphones stopped working, which is kind of like my third circle of hell. It's okay. I was like, it's just any given day, it's man. It's fine. Everything's fine. So we're talking about like, you know, last September to like this August then. Yeah. What was really on my radar was really over this past summer, you know, seeing the posts of, and I can identify with it just like, because for me, going for a run is the solution to a lot of my problems. Mm-hmm. But when it isn't, it's the worst because it's like, it's almost like all of a sudden a medication stops working, right? Yep. Yep. And I guess like when it got really bad, I should kind of preface that it was in April and I had to leave my job. Um, I didn't quit my job at that point in time, but I had to leave from work and I had just planned on doing like a partial hospitalization program. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine after two weeks. I'll just go back to work. (laughs) And no, that was not what happened. I had like a mental breakdown. And then I just was like, I need to be away from work for three months. But during that time, I kept running and running, as we know, um, it's supposed to help because it releases dopamine and dopamine is your feel good hormone and blah, blah, blah. But for me, running wasn't doing that anymore. And I just, but I found when I wasn't running, I was having worse days. So it was doing something, but the joy wasn't there. Yeah. So that was really challenging for me. Yeah. I mean, we're here for your story, but can I, can I kind of share something? I've been really, yeah. I've been looking forward to this conversation because I'm going through a thing right now where, you know, my wife and I did our first ultra, you know, about a month and a half ago, we did the 50 K Yeah. and I have overtrained and I have lost like all of my zest for running right now. And it actually got to a place where like over the past couple of weeks, like I couldn't bring myself to exercise or like strength train period. And like the self-flagellation began where it was like, okay, you're, you're not living up to your training program, which, which we all know that nobody has ever fully lived up to their training program. Right. True. True. It finally came to a head last week where I was like, I need to show myself compassion. I need to bail on this event because I was going to be doing 101K in December and uh, it, it it was becoming so toxic for me to wake up every morning and feel like I was failing. Yep. And 
I, I know that this is a safe space. So I've been so excited to like say that out loud to somebody mm -hmm. who understands that. And I even like, I talked to my buddy who I was going to be doing it with, and I think he's going to still do it. Uh, Ryan Maines, who's been on the podcast, was a longtime firefighter, Iraq war veteran. Wow. And it was nice that I could call him and be like, dude, I feel so bad that I'm bailing, mm -hmm. but I don't know anybody else who will like understand as well as you do yeah what this is like right now well and it and you know i might be putting words in your mouth but i i felt like a failure when i decided to not do those things and i even get teary just thinking about it because i was going to run the twin cities marathon because i'm in minnesota for those of you that don't know and i didn't sign up for it because i just i couldn't mentally do it like i just i mentally was not well and running just wasn't an enjoyable, but I felt like such a failure. Like I'm past that now, but I remember those, like even first couple of months and like, oh my God, like my identity is I'm a runner. And then when you don't do it, it's like yeah. you're letting yourself down, you know? Yeah. That identity crisis is, is such a, that's such a mind fuck. <laughs> if, <laughs> if I can use the term. And for me, like, when all this was going on, I lost my identity as a runner. I lost my identity as a pharmacist. I lost my identity of my job and like all this stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, what do I do? Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was what kept me in the newspaper industry for so long, even though it was killing me was that I, as a journalist and then as a newspaper editor, like that, that was who I was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even beyond like being the breadwinner, it was just like, you know, this is what I went to school for. This is what I've done forever. Like, this is who I am. And there there's, I, you know, I can't change that. Mm -hmm. And there was something to basically join the line in the sand and saying that, you know, this industry is killing me. I need to change. I need to find something new that was really liberating. Super liberating. Yeah. But for you, you know, working with veterans, help me uh, kind of bring me into that world a little bit, because I have to think that it was so rewarding. But as you pointed out, I mean, it was it was really triggering, right? Mm -hmm. So I um, I'm a mental health pharmacist just um, for people listening. And basically what that means is I did extra training um, after I got my doctorate in pharmacy school so I can actually prescribe medicine you know make changes to medicine so i was basically an independent provider at, at the the va so i was listening to trauma all day every day from our veterans god bless their souls like i could never do that and i have so much respect for them but it was so hard to listen to someone and having to be strong for someone that feels exactly the same way you do and you cannot say anything like man i feel the same way so how do you comfort someone that's suicidal yet you actively are suicidal yourself and it's just it's hard <laughs> so i mean is that is that like completely against the rules to to even say something at, at, to the point of like okay i i've been there and i know how you're feeling it's not professional <laughs> which is hard. Yeah, yeah. I would think it would be effective though. I agree, but that is that is how uh, professional healthcare professionals are brought up. I mean, I know there's some that cross cross that line and I mean, there's nothing really wrong with it, but at the same time, once you pass that boundary, like where does it stop? Right. You know. Where where is the separation? Where does the line stop blurring, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. But yeah, so that was really triggering for me. And and through my work in um, getting better myself, I realized how toxic it was for me. But it was really sad because I loved what I do because my husband's a veteran. Okay. And, you know, I felt like in a way I was giving back to him and, and the other veterans. But I just I had to I just knew I had to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry. So you spent uh, so you spent two weeks um in in a, a mental health facility is that right no so there's there's like inpatient mental health treatment which mm -hmm. is like going to the hospital and then there's the step down which is partial hospitalization program which the belief is you know people can heal more if they're sleeping at home which makes sense yeah so it's basically a hospitalization except you're sleeping at home so that was two weeks and then after that i started an intensive outpatient program which was three months. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I even think about like, I went through rehab in spring of 
2019. Mm -hmm. And the thought of checking into rehab during a pandemic <laughs> is, I, I, I can't imagine doing it because you, <laughs> yeah. you live in such close proximity with folks. That's not a new concept, is it? That sort of like modification where you can get services and interventions when, you know, in the comfort of your home. That isn't a new thing, is it? No, no, it, it it's, I don't really know where it stemmed from, but uh, obviously there's some patients that are not safe to, to be like, to go home, you know, like a really suicidal patient that act or suicide attempt, like you're not going to want to send someone home with that, but it's not a new concept. I will say the Newer concept is having to do it all virtually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. That that was interesting having to make group connections with people and have really intimate and you know this, have really intimate conversations with someone that you are just you only know their first name. And, and then you're in a group no less. Yes. So you got people talking <laughs> all over each other. Uh, well, let's hang out in sort of the present tense for just a moment here. Yeah. Tell me about what's coming up for you. I know you've got a, you've got a marathon in December and tell me about that one. And then what are you looking at for next year? I, I I've heard that I've seen that you're going to take on an ultra. Would that be your first? Yes. <laughs> and you'll probably have to give me advice, but, uh, I'm doing the, um, California international marathon in Sacramento on December 4th. And I am really looking forward to that because I, I just am going into it as more of a celebration of how far I've come. Um, because at the beginning of the training cycle is when I finally started to feel better. <laughs> so I just am like celebrating the fact that my mind is well. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So I'm not going into it like trying to Boston qualify or anything. I'm just going to celebrate like where I'm at. Next year, I am going to try to tackle a 50 mile race <laughs> but I, oh, I you're not even messing with the 50k you're going for the gusto i'm going straight i as you probably have followed me like i'm kind of just intense like that's <laughs> just the nature of who i am <laughs> this is precisely why i'm not qualified to give you advice you are a faster than me and B, all I can tell you about is a 50K. This is out of my jurisdiction already. Well, okay. Well, the jury's out on that one. But so the 50 miler, that is going to be in South Dakota, where I'm originally from. So I'm hoping my family will be able to join. I know my husband will because he's he just gets looped into all these things, unfortunately, <laughs> for him. And then I am doing Disney Princess weekend because I'm obsessed with Disney. And then in the fall... I want to do a, an international race. I'm not sure which one, but some, I was looking at like the Loch Ness Marathon because I mean, why wouldn't you want to run something where you get a Loch Ness medal? I mean, yeah. come on, like that's so cool. <laughs> so so when is the 50 miler in South Dakota? It's in June. Um, I can't okay. remember the exact date, but it's like towards the end of June. The only practical advice that I can pass along, I mean, first off, it's amazing. And I, I think that one of my trappings is that I haven't embraced the uh, the Galloway method. Like I, I struggle to allow myself to to walk, you know, to build and yeah. walk breaks. Yeah. Now, as soon as I got my head around the fact that I should be looking at my Fitbit and being like, oh, okay, I need to go slower or good. I'm going slow enough. <laughs> that mindset shift, like just totally changed the game. Of course, then I got into the race and I got super competitive and and, uh, and probably got ahead of my skis a little bit. But, you know, that race, you know, we started at five o'clock. So like it, we were like one third of the way into it and the sun had set. So, you know, you're you're run wow. you're running alone in the darkness with a headlamp. So that was a little that was a little wild. So I'd be excited to to be you and like to be running as the sun comes up and that was something that i was really looking forward to doing at the hitchcock experience mm -hmm. but in, in the same breath it's also the idea of running through the night and not sleeping just blows my mind because since we had kids like sleep has never been more important to me <laughs> <laughs> i bet i bet <laughs> I and I have some practice with I did the the David Goggins challenge. I don't know if you're familiar with that, mm -hmm. but you don't sleep for like two days. So, you know, I, I feel like I have some practice with the whole not sleeping at night, but it will be, I guess for me it'll just be interesting to see what happens. Like, you know, I'll just have to be really careful with my mental health. Like because oh. you're you're exactly right. Sleep is so important. 
but I didn't want to, yeah. I didn't want to go there because like I almost <laughs> did, but now, Hey, but now we're going there. Like after like four and a half hours of running alone mm -hmm. in the dark, like I got to a place where I got really twitchy Yeah, and I, I just, I felt like I was on the brink of a panic attack and I, all of a sudden what's going through my mind is like, you know, my, my wife was a couple of miles behind me and I'm worried about her. And, you know, my mind is just giving me a thousand one reasons to just curl up on the dark path in the fetal position and, and, mm -hmm. and cry in that way. I think one of the things I failed to do was to get like legit food into my belly because yeah. it's the, um, uh, it, halt. It's the halt thing. Never get too hungry, angry, yep. lonely, or tired. Yes. Yes. I got way too like legitimately hungry. So after, you know, like five miles of getting hungry and hungry or, you know, bad things start to happen, you know, between your ears, but yeah, I, I'll be really curious to see what happens. Cause I know like some people hallucinate. <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of things that can happen. And like, you know, as someone that struggles with, you know, a serious mental illness with bipolar disorder, I'll just be really curious to see, you know, where that, what happens. And I, you know, with your advice, I think I'm going to have to make sure I have like a pizza or something yes, yes. along the way. But, you know, those are things that, you know, people that don't struggle with mental illness have to think about, mm -hmm. you, you know, post-race blues, like marathon blues actually can cause full-blown depressive episodes and stuff. You just have to be a lot more careful with your chemicals. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no doubt. When we got done with the 50K, like we we hit the earth pretty hard. And then like a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a, a keynote speech for a, for a, like a destination rehab out in, out, out in Colorado. And when that got done again, it was like the combination of those events, like dragging me back down to earth so mm -hmm. hard. I think that I think that's really what led to me just like being burned out and overtrained and stuff. Um, yeah, which is where it was. It was just time to just time to back off. And it's funny how the moment that I've backed off, like all of these sort of things have fallen into my lap. And on a creepy level, all of a sudden, the past forty eight hours, despite me shutting things down, I have like had like the most insane pain in my right oh, knee. Oh no! I know. I know, but it, it's almost like the universe is like, you made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like when you taper for a marathon and you suddenly have all these like pin, pains and stuff, you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like what's going on? <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. It's it's almost like when, you, when you've been working overtime for weeks and weeks, you're on a huge project mm -hmm. and you get done and then you get sick right? Yes. Like the, yep. like the adrenaline fades. And then all of a sudden your body's like, Oh, by the way, I haven't been telling you about this knee injury because you've been so busy. <laughs> well, it's probably, I think it's a smart move. Like it sounds like you're in a place where it's a smart decision, or at least you were in a place like I was where you're just like, I just can't yeah. do it. Yeah. And, and you there's more races. That's the beauty of what we do. There's always going to be races I'm or at least I hope. Well, well, look at, I mean, I can look at what you're doing right now and, yeah. and that you're getting back into your groove and I feel that energy from you and I'm like, okay, well, I, I need to sort of put that in a bottle and come back to what I'm, what, what you're going through right now. I'll come back to that in a few months and hopefully have yeah. that sort of energy my own. One of the things that really helped me when I was at my darkest was just reminding myself that you cannot be physically well if your mind is not well, because that's what controls it. Right. No doubt. So if you aren't taking care of that brain of yours, it's you're not going to physically be well because it, it's not working. <laughs> this seems this seems like a good time to play. Turn back the clock a little bit. Because mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know, the mind and body. And let's go back to, if we may, go back to September 27th, 2015. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> of, of all of the times to sort of take on something like running, I, I, I suppose we sort of just need to set the stage for folks who don't know your story. I mean, let's, let's talk about what that anniversary is. Yeah. So thank you for asking that. It, it, I always, it's always crazy that that even happened to me because it's such a surreal thing. But so it was, I was in my second year of psychiatric pharmacy residency and I was getting ready to get married. <laughs> it was a week before uh, my wedding and I was going to get ready to pick up my wedding dress and I told my husband, I'm like, I do not feel well. 
I feel like shit. And all of a sudden, boom, pass out, have a grand mal seizure. I'm seizing and I'm banging my head against the toilet and the tub because I fell between the toilet and the tub. And um, one thing that I don't really share on social media a lot is that my husband ripped the toilet out <laughs> to save me, like because I was stuck between the toilet and tub. So oh he rips, rips the toilet out. He's calling 911. The ambulance comes. And then I get to the um, emergency room. And, and I should say, I don't know what's going on. Like, I, I want to stop for a second. You, oh, yeah. you, your husband had that like mother with her child like yes. trapped under a car thing. Yes. He ripped out the damn toilet? Yeah, because, you know, like there's the toilet and the tub. And I fell because I was, you know, in the bathroom and I fell in between the toilet and tub and I was banging my head. Yeah. against them when you're seizing you know and like biting my tongue so he ripped the toilet out <laughs> just bear hugged it yeah and he went into hulk mode that's what i was telling him I'm like he just went straight into army hulk mode because he was in the army and he yeah. just ripped it out yeah so crazy that's insane that's <laughs> yeah. that's cool and you know what that that gives anytime i hear about stuff like that it kind of reassures me that if my children are, are ever under great duress I am not, I am not a strong man per se. It's good to know that I can tap into something superhuman oh, when the time comes. Yeah. Cause he's not like a bodybuilder or anything. He's just, you know, lifts a little bit of weights. He's not crazy yeah. Hulk or anything, but yeah. So I, the ambulance came and got me, got to the hospital. I had another seizure and by that time they were getting my labs back and my sodium. They got my sodium back and it was 106. Normal is 135 to 145 with the level that mine was at one in one in four people die yeah. with, with that. Um, and it's 50% if you seize. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I should have died. Um, and because my sodium was so low, I got intubated. So I put, got put on a ventilator. I was intubated for two and a half days. Um, and then I finally got extubated. And um, the coolest part is that I still got to have my wedding <laughs> um, well, and, ma think, and marry the man. <laughs> I think, okay. So we've got, we've really got two cool parts. We've got the coolest part is the wedding. The second coolest part is him ripping out the toilet. Apart from that, I would argue yeah. that none of this is cool. <laughs> true, true. But I like looking back at it, I'm just grateful I wasn't in the car, like yeah. in driving to go get my dress. But Yes, I wish it wouldn't have happened, but it's also what catapulted me into running because after that happened, I'm like, the body is so cool. Like I just survived something that should have killed me yeah. and I got into running and this won't surprise you, but the first race that I wanted to run was a marathon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a 5k, 10k, half. There's So there's really you and Katra Corbett who I've met who would do such a thing in terms of just to hell with the stepping stones. We're just, we're going for the gusto. Yep. Okay. Did, did your husband, I have to check in on this quick. Like yes. th this takes place on what a weekend before the wedding Sunday, the Sunday before the wedding. And we got married Saturday on Saturday. Did he like mm -hmm. rewrite his vows or, or did you to, to like address <laughs> like the latest, greatest development or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were really boring and we just did traditional vows, so no. Yeah. We just went with the standard till death do us part, you know, that in yeah. sickness and health. You know, that's still for rich or poor or for yeah. for if your wife is an insane marathoner and you get dragged into it, no matter what. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. It, there should have been a lot more things that I made him vow, but you know, we'll just have to renew our vows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh absolutely. <laughs> So, okay. I didn't mean to get away from this, like this celebration, no, okay. the celebration of the body. When did you do your first marathon? It would have been in 2016. It wasn't exactly a year, but I think it was like a year and three days if we're being technical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Damn calendar. I know I'm a pharmacist, so I'm super anal about everything, but, uh, I did, my first one was the Marine Corps marathon, which was mm. so cool. I highly recommend that one. If you haven't ever done it. Wait, where was that one? Washington, D.C. Okay. Oh, wow. So that Marine Corps marathon. That Marine Corps marathon. Yeah. Why? Because, well, I was working for the VA, one, yeah. and I thought it would be really neat to do a race that had the military incorporated in it. Plus, I'd heard 
so many good things about the Marine Corps Marathon. And after doing it, like I 100% agree because I mean, there's Marines the whole way and they're like yelling at you and you know yelling hoorah and like all these stuff it's like how do you not get motivated but it was just a really neat opportunity to to do that marathon but that's i guess the reason why i picked it just because i heard so many good things about it yeah when did you get involved with uh with still i run so i became an ambassador a year ago but i had been like an active you know, user of them for probably about four years. Okay. So, yeah. so ar around the time that marathon was probably sort of shortly before that. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I guess, tell me about like your running journey. Were you in love with the first marathon? Did you sign up for another one the next day? How did that progress? Yeah. So great question. My first marathon, I think I, I mean, I really enjoyed it, but at the same time, like I made a lot of mistakes. Like <laughs> I, I, I wore the race shirt on the race day. Oh, which you is were like, that person. Yeah, which is a huge no-no. <laughs> and I chafed like, you wouldn't believe it. I still have a scar like here from the shirt. Wow. So that was a lesson to never wear the race day shirt and learn that. You're like the person showing up at the, at the concert <laughs> with the band t-shirt, right? Exactly. Exactly. I'm that like... Yeah, that jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but now you can't judge others, right? I know. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. But <laughs> I'm very superstitious and I will never wear a race day shirt ever again on the day of the race. But to answer your question, I guess, I I loved the marathon, but at the same time, I didn't. And I think that's normal for a lot of people because what I realized is I did not train well at all. Like yeah. for my first race, I ran every run at race pace which is like huge no no you're not supposed to do that um so i really didn't like it at first but i was hooked because that that feeling of like empowerment was huge for me so after that i really got into running marathons and i unfortunately i signed up for some but i was doing too many where i like was injuring myself because yeah. i just kept you know trying to Boston qualify and like all of this stuff because my my next race that I ran was the Twin Cities Marathon and I missed Boston qualifying by like 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. But uh, after that, <laughs> that, was, that was awful. I was so mad. <laughs> A lot of F-bombs were dropped after that race. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have gotten that damn water at mile 12 or whatever, you know, I wouldn't have. I would yeah. have made it. But so after that, I kind of spiraled into like just injuring, doing a race, but not being able to finish. So um, it wasn't until about probably a year and a half ago that I got an actual running coach and I got a lot smarter about running. Okay. You BQ'd last year, right? I did um, at the Jim Thorpe Marathon in um, September of last year. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, how does that work? I mean, you BQ did you you didn't do Boston this year, obviously. No, I didn't sign up because I didn't know where I'd like. At the same time, that was another one of my decisions not to sign up um, yeah. because I just wasn't in a mentally good place when it um, came out. But yeah, I I but I did sign up this year for next. You did, year, if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> but but they allow you to do that sort of defer. So the window, they extended it this year because of the shortened size that they did for this last year. Finally, a silver lining of the pandemic, right? We yeah. Finally, we finally found it. Finally <laughs> it's found Boston it. qualifying, you know, you can, but we'll see. I only have a five minute buffer, so that's not <laughs> a lot when it comes to Boston, but yeah. I, I know that you, you got your, your bipolar diagnosis mm -hmm. in December, is yep, that right? December, yep. So walk me through, I mean, we talked about the 11 months of hell where, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I was talking with a friend about this recently and she also was, was diagnosed bipolar mm -hmm. and there's this, there's this period where it's like, you're throwing as many noodles as you can find against the wall to see which one is going to stick. And I love that you use this term. I sometimes feel a little weird using it, you know, being that I'm in, you know, uh, recovery from alcoholism, but it, it is finding the correct cocktail. Yep. Of medications. Mm -hmm. What? This has got to be nuts for somebody in your line of work 
is is that did that help you kind of keep the faith when you're trying these different combinations and, and it's having adverse effects it's not achieving what it's supposed to be doing did that help you remain patient through the process it did and it didn't it also yeah. made me really frustrated because i'm like i'm that patient i'm that patient that has adverse effects to everything i nothing is working but it also was scary at the same time because i'm like when am I ever going to find a medication combination or cocktail? Like I like to say that that works for me, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I just, but, but once I finally got the right combination of medications, I mean, I'm grateful that I was patient, but during the time it was really challenging, especially just as a pharmacist. Cause I'm like, why are these not working? They should be working. Yeah. <laughs> you know? When did, when did you lock it in? Uh, August. Okay, so this is the end of the the end of the eleven months, effectively. But I I now take I take six medications <laughs> to help yeah to help balance everything out, and it's like I never thought I'd have to take that many medications. But if if I'm happy, that's all I really care about <laughs> at this point in time. I tell my wife I I can snack less because I take so many pills before before we go to bed at night. So <laughs> I know, like, I know. <laughs> it fills me like up. Like this little handful, you just. Back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this, uh, that there's, there's a lesson to be learned here, obviously. So I was, I was at the barber a couple of weeks ago and I was having the most maddening conversation with a young woman who was, who was cutting my hair because I, this was the day that I was going to be giving my keynote speech. And, she, and so, you know, I told her, I was like, you know, I, I'm excited to get you know, a fresh haircut because I, you know, I've got this thing tonight. And she started asking questions about it. And I'm explaining it to her. And, and she asked, where do you think panic attacks come from? And I'm like, well, I'm a podcaster, but I open every podcast with the fact that I'm not a licensed healthcare professional, but, here, <laughs> but here's my take anyway. And so I, so I explained it to the best of my knowledge. And, you know, I, I asked her, I was like, you know, do you, do you struggle with them? She's like, yeah. She's like, you know, I tell my boyfriend all the time that like, I'm all over the place and I can't concentrate and stuff. And I said, have you ever talked to somebody? And she was like, yeah, but I don't want to do that because my grandmother's had mental illness and she wants me to take, take medications. And I was, and I was like, please tell me you haven't taken your grandmother's medications. She's like, yeah, yeah. A couple of times. And I'm like, Oh, stop, stop. And you know, we, we got down to, it, I was like, I know you've had a bad experience. I'm like, but you need to see, you know, a psychiatrist or somebody who mm -hmm. prescribes your medications. And she said, well, I don't want to do that because I have to be on all day and I don't want it to take the edge off. And I was like, well, how are you sleeping at night? She's like, I'm really not. I'm like, that's why you might not be on. You know, I was like, I get, yeah. I was like, I get eight hours of sleep every night because I'm properly medicated. But <laughs> There was, I, I left and I was like, damn it. I don't feel like I got through to her at all. Uh, do you encounter that uh, on a regular basis in terms of like having to break through that stigma of oh, yeah. putting something into your body that's created in a lab? Because I know once upon a time, like I'm from a very conservative background and that was a struggle for me too. Mm -hmm. Oh, all the time. Uh, and what I explain to people is, you know, like if you, if you came in and you had, you have diabetes. Okay. okay. You come in, you have high blood sugar. Do you really think you'll just get cured if you don't take anything? Granted, you can do diet and even we can diet can, can be compared to therapy and you know it can work to a certain extent, but at the at the end of it, there's still a chemical imbalance causing whatever's going on to go on. And that's the same with a mental health condition. Like, so in particular with like depression or anxiety, we know that serotonin and dopamine are off balanced. So if you don't take a medication to fix that, you're probably not gonna get better. And there are some instances where yes, you can get better without medication. Those are more mild cases, but for someone like this um, person that you're describing, like she probably needs a medication, <laughs> you know, because there is a chemical imbalance. and. I mean, for me, like I'm very much proof of that because if you took the medications that I was on, you'd probably be tanked. Right. <laughs> you right. might be snowed. But that doesn't mean, you know, that you don't need medication. It's just 
that's the medication I need, you know? So that's what I always try to explain to people is there's a chemical, like this is, there's a chemical imbalance going on and it's not just in your head, which I hate when people say that. <laughs> oh my God. Hey, can you do me a big favor? Can I was absolutely riveted when you said snowed before that was, that was Awesome. Wait, where, whereabouts are you in Minnesota? Did did my Minnesota accent come out? Yeah, it was great. It was so wonderful. And bear in mind that, like, I as a broadcaster, like, people just assumed that I was from Canada because that slips in with mine too. So, so same team. I I don't want to embarrass you. I just thought it was glorious. No, so I live in the Twin Cities. So I live in the Minneapolis area. But it's so funny because I work for um, a company in Florida now. And they always tell me they're like, we can tell you're from Minnesota. And I'm like, I don't think I have an accent. But then every day at work, they're like, you roll your O's. I'm like, mm. I do. Yeah. Well, you grew up in South Dakota, right? You said? Yeah. So I grew up in South Dakota, but I live in Minnesota now. How long did you live there? My whole life. I grew okay. up, I went to college there. That's where I went, got my pharmacy degree. But I did residency training in Wisconsin. And then I, I've lived in Minnesota ever since I've done with residency. I, I ask about the Dakotas because like one of my favorite films is Fargo. So, uh, yes. so yes. I mean, where you grew up in South Dakota compared to Fargo, I mean, yes. I, how much of that is going on there in terms of the dialect and the accent? It's, I would say it's not as bad, okay. but when I get around people that talk like that, I start to talk like that. So like it, it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm sure you maybe can relate to that, but oh, it, yeah. it just gets really, so when I go home and, and back in South Dakota, it gets really bad. And I'm like, South Dakota, you know, <laughs> you betcha. Like I've said that before and I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you picked up on that because I am like now realizing how much of an accent that I have. <laughs> it's great though. I think it is. It's got to be one of the most like endearing accents though, right? I mm -hmm. like when I was a hockey broadcaster for a minute, it was like I've found my place because people are going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should go into that. <laughs> there you go. It's never too late. It's never too late to try something new. Since I know nothing about hockey, I think I would be a very bad announcer. Whoa, you live in Minnesota and you know nothing about Yeah, hockey? don't tell anyone. Except yeah. that's kind of, it's too late. <laughs> uh, it's out there now, yeah. I mean, you have no idea the size of the listenership of this podcast. Big in the <laughs> hockey community. Um, there, there's something you've been talking about recently. I want to get into this. Oh, yeah. I, I saw that, as you put it, you broke up with diet culture. Yes. Which to me is amazing. <laughs> I, had, I had Allison Grady on here. Uh, a couple of months ago, a college track sprinter who like caught lightning in a bottle one day and decided I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the fact that I've been wrestling with an eating disorder ever since I got to college. If, if, if we can, you know, tell me about, tell me about your story. Um, Cause it sounds like, I mean, it's always a journey that it, it, yep. it was a manifestation in one form once. And then it, and then it, and then it morphed into another part of that spectrum. What is the backstory? Because I saw recently that you're celebrating uh, carbs being such a huge part of your diet. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> I know I, I missed out. But if we can turn back the clock, like where, where did all of this begin? Well, so I just want to first start by saying, you know, like anyone that's struggling with an eating disorder, I know that it can be really lonely. It's probably one of the loneliest mental health disorders out there because not a lot of people talk about it. And I've been getting, as I've talked about it on um, Instagram and social media, I've been getting reported. <laughs> um, I and I don't know that. if you, yeah, so I've been getting reported. So it's really hard for me to raise awareness about it because people just keep reporting it. And it makes me so mad because I can talk about my experience with self-harm, with suicidal thoughts, with suicidal plans, all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't get reported. But then when you bring up eating disorders, it, it's just getting reported, um, which is really fuck. frustrating for me. Yeah, it's super frustrating and makes me want to cry just thinking about it because it's like, how are you supposed to help people if you can't talk about it? But I could go on a rant about that for an hour, but I won't. Um, so my my eating disorder started when I was probably about 13. A little background is that I was a gymnast. Mm -hmm. um, I started uh, being a gymnast at age two. And 
at about the age of 13 is when I had a career ending back injury. So I was huge identity crisis. We've talked about that a lot today, but it really, it really flipped a switch in me where I just didn't know who I was. In your formative years, no less. Yeah. And I, I planned on going to college. Like I wanted to go and be a Husker and be on their gymnastics team. Like I had big dreams. So that, that just dream, boom, out the door. So I was pretty much set up to have a failure (laughs) there when it, when it comes to control and stuff like that. And food became the area that I could control in my life. And just with like, the age, like my age group, millennials, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff in, I mean, that's when social media kind of started and you could start comparing and suddenly you're not thin enough. You're not, you know, you don't look like her. So like all of these things were going on. So that's really when it started and I started dieting, but looking back, it was probably more like anorexic type behaviors. Um, And then when I got to college, it, it flipped into full blown, eating disorder um, with kind of a mixture of anorexia and bulimia. And luckily I stopped or have been, and I know this is not a term that is the same as when you use it, but I've been sober from being from bulimic behavior since I was 20. Don't, no, don't, 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 please don't <laughs> qualify it like that. <laughs> and, and I mean, it, cause in doing so we, we continue to do this, this freaking imposter syndrome, this comparing yeah. game that is so dangerous. Cause you said it, that eating disorders to me, I mean, I I've got eight year old twin girls. So, oh, so, yeah. so I look at, I look at you and I look at Allison and it's like, hot damn, I, I, I love you guys so much for what you're doing because food people uh, it's, it's, it's the fact that we, you know, we eat food every day, right? Yeah. And it's a constant trigger. <laughs> this is like a nonstop trigger. Yeah. And it's so, when you have an eating disorder and it's so normalized. I mean, I, I get frustrated because drinking is so normalized, especially where I grew up in Northeastern mm-hmm. Wisconsin, but, but literally like oh, yeah. if, if people, if, if, if you say to somebody that I have a bad relationship with food, I think that, that there's people have a very unkind reaction to that mm-hmm. yeah well it's very clear since i've started talking about it but which is really sad but um so like i said i've been sober or haven't had an um a purging episode or you know physical purging episode since the age of 25 and then after that i got really into health and fitness and unfortunately my eating disorder kind of stemmed into an obsessiveness of like counting calories, making sure my macros are super balanced and reading food labels and like being obsessed with all that kind of stuff and not really focusing on intuitive eating or just eating like a normal human being, which I think a lot of people can really relate to. And that's why I really want to be open about this because I think a lot of people have eating disorders and they don't even know it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, disordered eating at the very least. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, So I recently, since I've gotten better from my depressive episode, my eating disorder type behavior started to open up again. Mm -hmm. And that's when I recently, I got diagnosed with atypical anorexia, which is basically anorexia just without the weight, the severely low weight. I still can't get away from before when we first started talking about this, about your post being flagged. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, I, I read on a daily basis, you know, when I'm, when, you, when maybe not a daily basis, but I read regularly about, you know, the, the, the shit hitting the fan with, with, uh, Zuckerberg and company in terms of all of the leaks that are happening, revealing mm-hmm. that they've known about the problems and the, the toxicity mm-hmm. and the, the image issues that are being perpetuated, the body image issues that are being perpetuated. But to shut down people who are trying to address it, I, I don't, I guess I wonder if, if it's an accidental censorship that they're trying to. Sh- no, I don't think so because it, it pops up that someone reported you. Um, oh, it, it literally says someone reported you. What sort of asshole would do that? I don't know, but it just, it's so upsetting to me. And the reason for that is because I was the person that was posting before and after photos of like, look at how much weight I've lost. Look at my ripped abs. Look at how 
good I look. Like, and that doesn't get reported. And I mean, mine, mine was like coming from a place of restriction, of severe counting, of not going out with friends and family because I was afraid that the food was going to make me fat. And that doesn't get reported. But then when I talk about body positivity yeah. and accepting all bodies, it gets reported. Yeah. I, I am genuinely trying to come up with the 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 makeup of a person who would report that. Like who would that rub so wrong that they that they would report that? Yeah, I my my only thought is that maybe they are just deeply troubled. Yeah. <laughs> deeply, deeply troubled human being that is maybe on in a in a bad place yeah like they're deeply involved in an eating disorder or something i don't know you know but i guess the more that i think about it it kind of makes sense to me because i think about back when i was in the throes of of alcoholism and i i think about the reaction that i had when people were you know sort of extolling the virtues of sobriety or or when people were pointing out that you know we as a nation as a culture have a serious drinking problem at that point, I didn't want anybody to bring up the fact that there was a problem because it was a problem that I had. So in a sense, I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but I, I, I just can't imagine a universe in which I would have reported somebody if they were trying to put good into the world. But I guess I'm, you're always still just kind of curious just exactly who is behind the reporting, right? Yeah, I know. I wish they would tell me or just unfollow me. Like that's... <laughs> But I don't know. I've been unfollowing a lot of people like that just trigger me. I'm like unfollow, unfollow. And it's just it makes the life a lot better. <laughs> yeah, I, I did that recently with uh, you know, there's a lot of folks who were popping up in my feed, you know, because I, I follow a lot of folks in the sober community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks were becoming ambassadors for uh, for athletic and other non-alcoholic like beer companies. Oh yeah. And ju and just like all day, every day, doing the PSAs. And I'm like, do you real? I do you realize just the 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 number of people who you're probably triggering mm -hmm. on a daily? I ha I had to unfollow it, not because it was triggering for me, but I was just getting so angry. And it was a sort of like self preservation because like I desperately want like. I would type up the comment of, of like, <laughs> do you realize what you're doing? And then I delete it and I'd be like, no, just unfollow. Just That's what I do too. I'm like, do you realize what you're promoting? Oh, it's just not worth it. So unfollow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then you have the catch 22 of like, if, if nobody says anything, you know, know. It's, it's. We'll save the world someday. We'll save the world. Yeah, and we and we have to manage our energy wisely, right? Yeah. We can't we can't can't fight every battle. Well, hey, tell me about your new gig now, because you know we started off by talking about the awesome place that you're in. Mm -hmm. and, and tell me what you're doing now, and, and just how fulfilling it is the the impact that you're having on folks. Yeah, so right now I work remotely, 100%, which is awesome. I work for Blue Cross Blue Shield Florida, which is an insurance company. Uh, and I am the behavioral health pharmacist for the entire um, Florida company. And basically what my job is, is I help with behavioral health initiatives. The big one that I'm working on right now is looking at helping opioid use disorder um, patients and making sure that they have like Narcan and um, looking at safety initiatives with that. And I, I'm hoping to get into helping with the alcohol use disorder community as well because they there's not a big focus on they, it's it's often the forgotten area yeah. and and there's a lot we can do with medications mm -hmm. that are not being done right now um so that those are the types of things that i do and it's really exciting because in my old job i was doing more one-on-one -on -one individual patient to patient but like this is I can impact 3 million yeah, lives. That, that's you know, it. It's so cool. It's, this, it's the systematic stuff that you can impact. That's, that's pretty rad. Yeah, it is. And it's really fulfilling and so much better for my like mental health. <laughs> Kim, I, I had no idea that you were working in those spaces. And it reminds me that I should point out that I've got a local partner here in Northern Illinois that can help connect people with services and can help them figure out the best road to recovery. It's DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers 
here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email DUIBHS at gmail.com. So that, I mean, that's amazing because like when I was in treatment and I found out that by addressing my mental health, because I'd been, you know, I'd been occasionally seeing a therapist for years and taking medications, which weren't working because the alcohol was running yep. interference, right? Yeah. Um, but no, as soon yep. as it was pointed out to me that in my case, it could have been that the root of my problem was my mental illness and the symptom was, you know, the self-medicating with alcohol totally changed the game for me. That's how it was for me too. Like I've been untreated. I've had untreated bipolar disorder since I was 18. And um, I've had things stem up from like, I abused alcohol. I, you know, eating disorder, like all of it is stemming from just this underlying untreated mental health condition. <laughs> it's crazy. When was the, uh, and maybe we've already touched on it, but when was the aha moment for you when, when you realize that you could live this full, fulfilling life if you properly address that stuff? Well, so I started to feel better in August of this year um, and yeah. probably in like late September when I started my new job and I'm like, I can be functioning. Like I can still function and have all of these things going on with me. Like I, like it was just really empowering to be like, man, <laughs> I still can be a good pharmacist, but really struggle with mental health disorders as long as they're treated. Like it is possible to live your life with a mental health condition and a, a physical condition as well. It's that recent. Yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, but, but you, you, had you been medicated over like the past, you know, five years? I had been, but it was like, a roller coaster, man. It was a roller coaster. Plus, we didn't even talk about this. I swear we could talk for like three hours, but you know, I was diagnosed with lupus too. So yeah. I had um, all of those things going on. But I mean, just until recently, I, this is the best I've felt since I was 18. Like my brain, oh my, my brain finally feels like it's back to normal, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> It is. This is, oh my God. I, I like, I knew you were in a good place, but I had no idea how good of a yeah. place. Like I don't, I, yeah. So this treating the eating disorder is just going to be the cherry on top and getting myself to where I was before all this started. And to think what you've accomplished while not yeah. addressing some of this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I've, i I, I've gotten, I've done pretty well, despite a lot of, a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I seriously still can't wrap my brain around like, like I, like I brought up to you earlier of like being in that line of work and suffering and helping others while not feeling like you're able to help yourself. Yeah. So you, so yeah, I mean, now you can do your, now you can really do your job. You do my job and I can like, function and like not feel like death after work and you know it's it's fun it's like this is why i went into pharmacy <laughs> you know yeah. but it it's it's really good to be in this place i i really appreciate that you like appreciate that <laughs> i'm fired up do, do you think you'll drag anybody along with you on the 50 miler or are you better or are you better flying solo uh like running it with me or like yeah. having a crew yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would love to have someone come, but I don't have, I, I don't have a lot of people that have wanted to take that step yet. It's it's in South Dakota. Cause, cause you know, what's happening right now. I, I have a feeling that you want to come. 
<laughs> I, I think I might be just rejuvenated enough for that. It's in June, towards the end of June, you got time. There's a 50K, 50 miler or 100, which I didn't sign up for the 100 mile. I did the, you know, in between. <laughs> Good for you. Way to show some self-restraint. I, I you deserve a medal. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's circle back on this. Let's let's put a pin in it. Huh? Yeah, we'll put a pin in it. And yeah, I need to watch that movie now. Fargo? No, on both. On both, they always say I'll put a pin in it. Oh, oh, my children love Bolt. Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't mean, oh God, I, I didn't mean to say it that way. I've never watched it with them. I'm sure that I would love you it You need too. to watch it because he's always like, let's put a pin in it and move on. <laughs> well, okay. It's, it is, it is sadly, very sadly time to move on. Um, yes. oh, I, know. I, I, I want to say that I adore you, but I am very, very much afraid of your husband now. He can rip out toilets, so. (laughs) (laughs) Duly noted. Well, keep up, keep up the wonderful work you're doing. Never change. And uh, we're we're gonna find these sensors. We're gonna hug them, and we're gonna do something. (laughs) We're gonna do. Okay. Well, I'll I'll see you in um, South Dakota then. Okay. Next June. Sounds good. Meet you there. All right, I'm going to say it again. Let's do something, right? You know, one of my favorite artists, Scott Hutchison, the front man from Frightened Rabbit, one of my very favorite uh, songs of theirs, the, the lyric from Head Rolls Off goes, while I'm alive, I'll make tiny changes to earth. All those tiny changes, man, they can make a big difference. So thank you so much to Kim for joining me and for all the work that she does. And thank you all for being here. Can't wait to catch up with you next time. But until then, remember, if it feels like things are falling apart outside of here, right here, we are always coming together. I love you folks, and we'll catch you soon. Peace.